Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Our opening music is from the Batabat Lakes in Nachivan. This program was researched and written in Indianapolis, Indiana, USA by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 619 for release on Sunday, January 4th, 2021. On the program today, the radio scene in the ancient land of Nakchivan. And our Japan DX reports, among other things. Back during the month of July of 2020, BBC TV in London presented a glowing travel documentary on the somewhat isolated and generally unknown land of Nakchivan, which is located on the northern edge of the Middle Eastern areas. Said the commentator, Chances are you have never heard of Nakchivan. It is jammed in between Armenia, Iran, and Turkey on the Transcaucasian Plateau. It's one of the most isolated outposts of the former Soviet Union, and it's a place that few travelers ever visit. However, as the BBC Travel Channel stated additionally, even though very few travelers visit Nakchivan, it's emerging as one of the world's most sustainable nations. It's a most ancient land, and at the same time, it's quite modern and progressive, as Ray Robinson explains. Thanks, Jeff. The territory of Nakchivan, or as they call themselves the Nakchivan Autonomous Republic, is in reality not a separate country, but rather an exclave of Azerbaijan. In other words, Nakchivan is politically a part of Azerbaijan, though it's geographically separated from Azerbaijan by an irregularly shaped land corridor anywhere from 5 to 25 miles wide. This territory is the largest exclave in the world. Nakchivan is 75 miles long and 25 miles wide, and it's made up of mountainous regions, rocky slopes, verdant plains, and wide-open desert areas. The resident population is a little less than half a million, and they grow much of their own foodstuffs. They manufacture and sell chemicals and minerals, and they weave colourful carpets with the snow-white silky wool from their local sheep. They manufacture and assemble Lifan motor cars, the same models that have been developed in China. The Lifan is a small, compact sedan, modern and neat. According to local historians and tour guides, the name of this territory, Nakchivan, means the place or the land of Noah. They tell that Noah and his family exited the ark after the great flood and that they settled in what became Nakchivan. The Bible in the book of Genesis, chapters 6 through 8, states that Noah, under divine direction, was the master builder of a massive wooden ship, the size of the large tourist cruise ships of our modern era. All forms of animal and bird life entered the ark, together with just the eight members of Noah's family. As the Bible indicates, after the earth settled down at the end of the massive worldwide flood, the ark came to rest upon the slopes of the mountain cluster known as Ararat, in the extreme eastern area of what is now known as Turkey. Nakchivan is located around 75 miles due east from Ararat. 
At least a dozen ancient historians who lived in the early civilizations and countries around the Middle East make reference to the Flood and to Noah's Ark, and also to the early society in Nakhchivan. Many of the rock carvings and paintings known as Gamigaya petroglyphs, all 7,422 of them, show stylized and simplified boats and a host of different animals. Modern travel brochures printed in the English language in Nakhchivan refer to their own ancient history as one of the first human settlements upon Earth. The capital city of the territory called Nakhchivan is also known by the same name, Nakhchivan, and it's described as one of the ancient cities of the entire world. Although life in this geographic exclave is far from idyllic, their capital city is a modern, clean and very spacious city where, as the BBC TV documentary stated, cleanliness and health are emphasised. On the edge of the city is an ornate, towering mausoleum where, as the tour guides will tell you, the prophet Noah is buried. Nakhchivan came under Russian influence in 1828, and almost a century later, in 1920, Russia invaded and occupied the territory. Seventy years after that, in 1990, at the breakup of the USSR, Nakhchivan briefly exerted its own independence, though shortly afterwards it came under the control of nearby Azerbaijan. Documents and articles published in the English language in Nakhchivan assert the fact that their first experiments in radio broadcasting took place in 1930 and 1932. However, an analysis of the available information seems to indicate that these radio events some 90 years ago occurred in nearby Azerbaijan, during the era when Nakhchivan was tied with Azerbaijan in the Soviet Union, rather than in Nakhchivan itself. The first amateur radio de-expedition in Nakhchivan took place in 1973, when two Azerbaijani Russian amateur operators, Valentin Ivanov and Vladislav Frolov, operated in the city under the special call sign UK6CAA. A current list shows a radio beacon in Nakhchivan operating within the standard medium wave band on 680 kHz. This NDB, or non-directional beacon, or more accurately an ODB, omnidirectional beacon, radiates the call sign NT. Entries in the WRTH indicate that the first radio broadcasting stations in Nakhchivan were established at two different locations in 1999. These two locations were Sarur, some 40 miles north of the capital city, and Ordubad, some 35 miles south of the capital city. Interestingly, two transmitters were listed at each of these two locations. The power for each transmitter was listed as 17 kilowatts, and each channel was operating in the old East European FM Band 1, at frequencies ranging between 69 and 73 megahertz. Subsequently, all radio broadcasting in Nakhchivan was switched to the more widely accepted international FM band 2, with relay transmitters installed in at least five different regional areas in the territory of Nakhchivan. These days, four transmitters are listed, each with a power of one kilowatt, and these are located at Baybak, just south of the city of Nakhchivan on the central western border, at Sarur and Sadarak in the north, and at Ordubad in the south. Back to you, Jeff.
Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles with that profile of radio in Nachivan. A few weeks ago on WaveScan, we told you about the new series of programs on KPC Radio, a student-run internet radio station at Pierce College in Los Angeles. The program, which deals with shortwave radio, is called Electronic Echoes, and it's produced and hosted by Aaron Castillo. On this program, Aaron interviews interesting guests in the world of shortwave radio. And on one of his programs recently, he interviewed WaveScan's own Ray Robinson, who helps manage shortwave station Voice of Hope America's KVOH, which transmits religious programs southward and eastward. Here's a portion of that interview. Could you tell me what got you into shortwave radio? What was your first memory with the medium? Wow. Well, you can probably tell from my accent, I'm not a California native here. Um, I was born and raised in London, England, and I started listening to the radio back in the 1960s. We had offshore stations on on ships because the uh, radio broadcasting scene in the UK was tightly controlled by the government and the BBC had a monopoly. So commercial stations were not allowed. And we had a few years where there was a number of stations that broadcast from ships offshore. The government brought in a law against that in 1967. And after that, I started exploring, well, since the pirate stations have gone away, what else can I hear? And I, I found on shortwave, that you could hear very interesting programs from elsewhere in Europe. I used to listen to Radio Sweden and Radio Denmark, uh, Netherlands, uh, Dutch World Broadcasting System. They had a station called, or a program called The Happy Station on Sunday afternoons, which was really interesting. Listen to Transworld Radio from Monte Carlo. Uh, a whole new world opened up to me, and it was all through shortwave radio. My granddad had a shortwave radio, and he was the one who first got me interested. So I started learning some of the uh, possibilities that there were with shortwave right back in my teen years in the 60s. And what was the defining moment that made you want to pursue shortwave radio more seriously than just a casual listen? Well, I've always been interested as a shortwave listener my entire life, and I've had close relationships with broadcast stations. I was a monitor in the UK for uh, HCJB out of Quito, Ecuador in the um, 70s and 80s. Um, I, I had a lot of interest in that medium, but it wasn't my profession. Uh, by profession, I was in the finance industry. I got into software development. I ended up managing a large software development group for a financial services company here in Los Angeles. And I've actually been in California now for over 30 years. So this is home to me now. But um, it wasn't until, let's see, 2012, uh, my position was eliminated in, in the company I worked for. And uh, after a year or two um, looking around at, at what else might be possible, I happened upon some email communications with Reverend John Taylor, who runs the Strategic Communications Group. He founded it in 1998 and operates the Voice of Hope World Radio Network. And I had heard a, a Voice of Hope station way back in the late 1980s, 
which I knew had been based around here somewhere. I'd, I'd heard the ground wave signal from it. I knew it existed, but I didn't know what else was going on. And so I contacted John and we ended up talking and the station had been off the air for a few years, actually in the early 2000s. And we were talking about maybe uh, getting that back on the air, which we succeeded in doing and have actually expanded the network now in the last few years. We now have stations in the Middle East and in Africa, in Zambia. So we're broadcasting to Latin America, to Africa and to the Middle East. And it's, it's been a really exciting role. I never thought, honestly, that I would end up with a position like this in radio. You know, it was just a, a hobby interest to me most of my life, but it's been fantastic the last few years. And when you joined Voice of Hope, um, what made you, well, what made you pick Voice of Hope versus working for any other station? <laughs> well, because they're here. <laughs> ah, ah. Uh, <laughs> Um, I went to, to meet John over in Simi Valley, which is where the station is based. Um, the actual transmission facility, as you said earlier, is on the top of Chatsworth Peak. We have about 50 acres up there with a, a massive log periodic antenna that uh, is actually beamed at 100 degrees dead eye straight on Havana, Cuba um, oh. from Los Angeles. That's, that's where it is, is, is aimed at. And most of our programming up there is in Spanish. Um, we're targeting Cuba, um, Mexico, Central America, the countries of South America that are along the northern South America coast, like Venezuela and Colombia and so forth. That's where we get a lot of response from. But the signal does reach down. Just a few days ago, I got an email from uh, two listeners in Brazil who wow. are practicing Spanish. We get reports from Argentina, from Uruguay, Chile, Peru. Um, it covers uh, a very wide area. I, I think it's probably DXs mostly at that distance. Yeah. But uh, actual shortwave listeners, people who are interested in the content that we're broadcasting, uh, mostly that's in Cuba, Mexico, and Colombia. Colombia is a very um, restricted country in terms of broadcasting. You, there's no mm. Christian programming allowed on the radio there obviously the same in cuba it's a communist country and even in mexico it's very very limited it's surprising so um, that's where most of our listeners come from venezuela is interesting because that's also a communist country and you'd expect that to be very restricted but actually it isn't you can get christian programming on the radio in venezuela and local fms carry christian programming there but you can't do that in colombia you can't do it in Cuba. So uh -huh. that's why we use shortwave to reach into those countries. You know, in, in North America and in Western Europe and, you know, the, the places we think of as being the first world, shortwave doesn't enter the thinking of most people. I mean, they're, they're not mm -hmm. familiar with it. They, they wouldn't know what a shortwave radio was. They don't have any need to go looking for program content on shortwave because everything's available these days on the internet. Mm -hmm. But in many third world countries, that's not the case. And that's why we still use shortwave as a medium to get our message across. Um, I mentioned we have a station in Africa, it's mm -hmm. just outside Lusaka in Zambia. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been down there a number of times. And last time I was there, we have a studio complex in the center of the city that we rent from one of the local FM stations. 
um, that we, we share studios in the same building. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to the lady who's the manager of that station. And I, I said, you know, in my hotel room, I did a band scan end to end on the FM band in Lusaka. And there were about 30 stations that I heard. And, um, you know, it was all sorts of um, different kinds of music and, and talk and so on, just as you'd expect anywhere else. But our shortwave transmission facility is 22 miles outside the city to the southwest. And I said, when I drive out there, it's not that far away, 22 miles. I said, I can only hear two FM stations. So why is that? Why can we not hear the others? They must be very low powered. She said, the government, the official position is that they want to promote community radio. Mm. She said, frankly, the truth is it's highly political. They do not want high power broadcast stations falling into the hands of political opponents. Mm. And therefore, all FM stations in the country are limited to 1,000 watts, one kilowatt. It's all they're allowed, except for two stations. One is their own government broadcasting station, ZNBC, Zambia National Broadcasting Corporation. And the other is a relay of the BBC World Service out of London. Those two are allowed two kilowatts, 2,000 watts each. And she said, I bet those are the two that you heard out at your shortwave transmission site. I said, yes, they were. She said, wow. that, and that's why you won't hear anything else. So you can go to the main cities in a country like that, and you'll hear lots of FM stations, but you only have to drive 15, 20 miles outside a city, and there's nothing, or very little. And you drive out into the country, and all, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles of, uh, of rural um, areas where there are tribal populations that live. And in Africa, in Zambia in particular, they make English a common language so that they yeah. can communicate with each other between the tribes. Oftentimes, it's not their first language, but just about everybody speaks English. So we can broadcast on shortwave and they'll hear us. But apart from that, they have, they have nothing. They can't hear the FMs from the city. They're too far. AM doesn't work in the tropics because you get tropical interference. Oh, you get lots of uh, yes. static crashes and atmospheric noise and so on. So in Zambia, there are no AM stations at all. They, they can't use them uh, in the tropical bands. So um, there's no TV outside of the cities. Um, if you are wealthy, a farm owner or a mine manager or something, you know, you can put up a satellite dish and you can get programming from satellite. But the ordinary population, they can't afford things like that. And so a cheap $20 shortwave radio that you can pick up into any market there is what they use for their entertainment. Even newspaper distribution doesn't happen outside the wow. cities. So for entertainment for news information the way they keep the country together they listen to shortwave the government broadcasts in in lusaka they have a shortwave transmission site uh, for zmbc they broadcast on 5915 kilohertz that's their broadcast to their country how they keep the country unified and so we don't even think about things like that in the west that was the first part of an interview with Ray Robinson of the Voice of Hope Shortwave Network and co-host of this program, Wavescan. He was interviewed by Aaron Castillo 
of the Electronic Echoes program on kpcradio.com at Pierce College in Los Angeles. We'll have part two of that interview on an upcoming edition of WaveScan. But now let's go to Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo with her first DX report for 2021. Happy New Year and welcome to the DX Report of the Month from Japan Shortwave Club, aided by Toshi Otake and I'm Yuki Kotsuji. Mr. Nishiguchi had interesting DX expeditions at Nojima Park, Yokohama City. Here are some of his loggings. KTZN from Anchorage, Alaska, USA was heard on 550 kHz on November 21st from 0757 to 0806 UTC in English. SIO rating was a 242. ESPN Radio Relay was on the air. KGUM from Aganya, Guam was heard on 567 kHz on November 21st from 0857 to 0905 UTC in English. SIO rating was 311. News talk was aired. ID was given at 0900 as KGUMAM Aganya Guam K57. Then CBS News started. CHED from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada was received on 630 kHz on November 21st from 0757 to 0806 UTC in English. SIO rating was 222. News talk was broadcast. ID was given at 0759 as CHED 630, News and followed by Global News. KNBR from San Francisco, California, USA was heard on 680 kHz on November 21st from 0757 to 0806 UTC in English. SIO rating was 232. Commercial messages and ID were given at 0759 as KNBR Oakland and San Francisco. KNBR Sports. Then sports information was on the air. CKDQ from Drumheller, Alberta, Canada was heard on 910 kHz on November 21st from 0757 to 0806 UTC in English. SIO rating was 322. Country music was broadcast. ID was given at 0801 as New Country 910. We have several more DX reports from our club members this week. Radio Taiwan International was heard on 9610 kHz on December 1st from 1030 to 1057 UTC. This was test transmission in Korean. SIO rating was 554. Mainly talk program by female announcers was aired. Taiwanese songs, Dihua Street, and Someday or One Day were played. ID was given at 1030. Bangladesh Beta was received on 4750 kHz on November 29th from 1743 with interval signal to 1804 UTC in English. SIO rating was 353. News was on the air, followed by commentary at 1800. The audio was distorted. Chinese station wasn't heard on this day. Also on December 3rd, this station was broadcast from 1228 with interval signal to 1300 UTC in English. 
SIO rating was 343. News, commentary, and another talk program were aired. BBC via Oman was heard on 9410 kilohertz on December 1st from 1258 with interval signal to the sign off at 1400 UTC in English. SIO rating was 454. World news was broadcast at 1300, followed by newsroom at 1306, news at 1330, and in the studio at 1332. Radio France International was heard on 9790 kHz on December 6 from 0729 to 0735 UTC in French. SIO rating was 353. ID was given at 0729, followed by the news journal by a female announcer. Finally, Japan Shotaro Club will issue the QSO cards for the correct reports on our segment of WebScan program. We are issuing QSO card by email to the report sent by email. Our address for your email report is jswcqsl.live.jp. I repeat, jswcqsl.live.jp. We continue to issue the printed QSO card by the same system as before. Your report should be addressed to JSWC PO Box 44. Kamakura, which is K A M A K U R A, postal code 248-8691, Japan. One ILC or two US dollars for return postage will be appreciated. For this edition of DX Report, we'd like to thank Mr. Yoshiaki Hayashi, Mr. Iwao Nagatani, Mr. Motofumi Kai, Mr. Chiaki Shimada, Mr. Takashi Nishiguchi, And Mr. Hiroyuki Akiba for sharing the information with us. Thank you for listening and please join us for our next edition of DX Report of Japan Shotev Club. I'm Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo. And we end this week's edition of WaveScan with some folk music from Azerbaijan. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, another mass stranding of whales at a South Pacific island, together with their local radio scene. And our Philippine DX report from Henry Omatai. Several QSL cards are available for WaveScan. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for the program. To the AWR address in Thailand. I'll give you in just a moment. And also to the station your radio is tuned to WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa or to IRRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air. Here in the program, they will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSLs is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P R A K A N O N G, Bangkok. 
10110 Thailand. Again, that's Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakadong, Bangkok, 10110 Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence to WaveScan, other than reception reports, is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone. <laughs>